2, please, if I could, and verses 18 to 16. I know that uh, December is usually the month of uh, Christmas when we read these type of stories, but I was just um, taken by the reality and the truth of uh, what it just says in Luke chapter 2 in relation uh, to a particular point. So we'll just get it up there on the screen. That'd be great. And it just says this. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, watching, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and, and it says, The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then it says in verse 10, The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good tidings, a great joy which will be to all people. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you that you'll find a baby or find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly was suddenly there was with the great, with the angels, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards all men. Now, if we were just to maybe go to the next passage of Scripture, just go down to verse 32 of the same chapter of Luke, chapter 2. It says in verse 32, Here's light, here's the light. This is Simeon speaking now. He's speaking about Jesus. He's the, he was the um, one of the priests in the temple, very old man. And he said, Jesus is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. There's a reoccurring theme in Luke chapter 2. Thank you very much, Dale. And it's just, it talks about the glory of God. And uh, if you went to 1 John, if you just see the other verse, 1 John 14, and the word became flesh, this is what John wrote, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his what? Oh, thank you. That was an overwhelming response. We beheld His glory, and, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So there's a reoccurring theme in the birth of Jesus, and He's coming to this earth, that there was a job that He was involved in, and that job was to bring the glory, not, not just the glory for Himself, but the glory of the Father to see us. And, and glory is an interesting word, uh, but if I can illustrate really what it was all about, uh, there's an interesting story that goes like this. 1543 is a year that none of us would remember because we certainly weren't around in those times. But did you know that all astronomers in those days, those who studied the stars and the planets, had this, um, had this train of thought? And the train of thought was that everything revolved around the Earth. All the maps that they produced, it showed the Earth in the center, uh, the solar system. The Earth was the anchor of the solar system. Uh, the earth was all uh, that uh, they thought was everything revolved around it, including the sun. Now, there came a man named Nicholas Copernicus, interesting name, but it's hard to pronounce, but there you go. He was the first astronomer that actually displaced the earth from the center of the universe. And he said, and uh, as he said that, people scoffed at him. In actual fact, as he continued to point his bony finger at the, at the sun and say, there is the center of the universe, they actually did not believe him. For 50 years, they denied it. 50 years, he continued to say, there's the center of the universe. It's not the earth, it's the sun. And it wasn't until a guy called Galileo came along and verified this fact and proved the fact through the things that he'd done that they all started to believe. Humanity didn't like to think that they weren't the center of everything. And I would like to say tonight what that dear man Nicholas, that astronomer, did for the earth, God does for our souls. And what he does, God taps us on the shoulder, he points to his son, Jesus Christ, and he says, behold, the center of the universe. 
the center of the universe. Because as we see at his birth, as we see was predicted through Simeon the prophet, as was predicted by John, as was shared and declared by John, as was declared by the angels, he's the glory of the Father. His glory, he came to reflect the glory of God on this earth. And very true. See, we see this reoccurring theme. And um, when God looks at the center of the universe, he doesn't look at you and me. Um, you are appreciated, you are loved, you are valued, you are, but the center, we are not. That's understandable, isn't it? I think we all understand that. See, the glory means this. It means magnificence, splendor, beauty, wonder, grandeur, and brilliance. All of those things is the simple definition of the word glory. And this describes our God. And Jesus came with the express purpose to reveal that glory. In um, John 14, 4, I haven't got it up there, but Jesus prayed to his Father before he died. And he said this, I have brought you glory, God, by completing the work that you gave me to do. I've brought you glory by completing the work that you gave me to do. And we see very clearly, Jesus took center stage at his birth. He took center stage right through his life. And uh, so he should have. The question tonight is, does Jesus Christ, does our Heavenly Father take center stage in our lives? Or are there other things that sit on the throne of our hearts and lives? There's a couple of things that this simple thought really does help us to see about life. And I just wanted to share with you tonight. The first thing in relation to this whole principle of God's glory and Jesus Christ showing us the glory of His Father means His glory helps uh, me to see my place and my part in this world. Um, it, Isaiah 42 verse 8 says this, I... We'll just flick it over there. It's not happening. There we go. My trusty assistant. It says, I am the Lord. That is my name. In my glory, I will not give to who? Another. He's not going to share it with someone else. He's not going to give it to another. Um, you know, over the many, 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 many years, uh, I've had the privilege of performing a lot of marriages, which has been a wonderful experience. And uh, over the years, I've come to understand that once I've done my job, I need to get out of the road because it's the bride and groom's day. And uh, I could say, um, you know, uh, once they, you know, they do the wedding kiss and we announce them, we sign the registrar and we announce, uh, want to, you know, present to you, Mr. and Mrs. Whoever. Um, that's my point for exit. Uh, the truth is, I could say, well, I've, just wait a second. I've done all this pre-marriage counselling. I've spent... I spent several months with you, you guys. Uh, I prepared the wedding notes, order of service. I get all dressed up, put a suit on, perform the wedding, only to find that people are not there to see me. Now, that's not, that's not fair. It shouldn't be the case. I, you know? Uh, uh, and you, when you announce a man and wife, maybe I should just step inside in front of them and, and, uh, and say, hey, folks, thank you. I know that you came to see me. I've done a lot of work, more than this couple have done for this day. I've done all the work, so uh, thank you. You can give the gifts, any gifts. I'm much appreciated. I would, uh, you know, I'd walk down the aisle and, you know, kiss the mother's bride, the mother of the bride, and do everything else, and it just wouldn't be right, would it? It's not my job. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because it's not about me. It's about the bride and groom on the day. And I find that I can be the pointer, I can be the, to help, uh, help this union take place because really it's, they're the main event, 
not me. And sometimes we can be so consumed in making maybe a good impression and, and what people think of us that we forget that it doesn't really matter as much as what they think of God. And maybe in our lives, uh, do we reflect Him in our every word and our thoughts, our actions and what we're about? Or do we really just reflect us? You know, and uh, it really is all about Him. And uh, John the Baptist said, He must increase and I actually must decrease. Is that right? That's what he said. And next time you need, next time you need a nudge away from the limelight, remember we're just links in the chain for God's glory to be seen. Uh, and he wants to be through us. And, you know, and it's, it's very much about us being secure in that in realizing that it's God in us that actually gives, um, gives us the ability to even probably be who we are. And uh, God's reflection through us is far better than us presenting and promoting just ourselves. So we need to be like the shepherds who are out in the field that night with the, with the angels proclaiming the glory of God and singing of Jesus' birth. And gl glory of God was all around them. And they were afraid and fearful. And the word actually means fear as in reverence or respect and honor. And I think that's the fear we need to have is a respect and an honor of our Heavenly Father. And realize um, we need to reverence Him, not place Him just, not just as another event in Christmas calendar, but realize He is the main event. He's the main event. And so we see that really um, His glory helps me to see my place that I'm a reflector, that I'm a part of the system, I'm part of His purpose. And, uh, you know, the truth is, is that pride really does just destroy our lives. It does, isn't that true? And we try to take the limelight off God or just say, well, you know, look what God's done in me. Well, He has. Let's praise Him for that. But let's realize it's Him in us. Amen. And uh, I think that's important. You know, the, the other thing that I see, His glory helps me not only to see my place, but His glory shows me His greatness for our sakes and not His sake. Um, you see, in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3, uh, Jesus, Moses, uh, sorry, um, He told Moses this. God said this to Moses. He said, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. Here is God. He's sharing about Himself. I must be glorified. Uh, I must be, people must praise me. People need to see me. See, God, God's glory is God's priority. I'll say that again for the sake of, of that noise. God's glory is God's priority. Um, he's got a to-do list, and he's only got one item on it, and that one item is how can he, re, how can he be glorified? How can, that's the one item on God's to-do list. How can he be glorified? And just before you say, well, that's a very self-centered God. God exists to showcase God. Is that true? And uh, that's the reality because Psalm 19.1 says this, the heavens exist, uh, the heavens exist to, glo to bring glory to God. That's the truth of the matter. And uh, we can say, isn't that a bit self-centered? Isn't that behavior self-promoting? Isn't that the very thing that God says for us not to do, and yet He's doing it? And why broadcast Himself? Isn't it the very thing we should, He shouldn't be doing? Has God got an ego problem? He d you know, why does He not reveal, why does He need to have His, the, His glory revealed, and people to see, and people to praise Him, and people to worship? Why does that? Well, I want to say this. It's not for his good 
but it's for our good. It's not for his good. God hasn't got an ego problem. God hasn't got this, um, this whole attitude of life that, look at me, look at me, look at me. Because it's not about, really, in God's eyes, it's not about me, it's about you. See, when he wants the praise, he wants the glory, it's really about what happens in your heart and your life. Because it's good to give him praise because something happens here. And God doesn't sit in heaven just saying, well, they better, they, I'm having a bad day. Hopped out of bed on the wrong side. Uh, they need to give me some praise and glory here and make me feel better. God doesn't need pep, pep, you know, propping up. But he does need praise because it knows that it does something in our life. He knows. And so we need, he wants to hear, he wants to see it declared because something happens. You know, in April 14th, 1912, is a date that some of you may remember a tragic event that happened and unfolded. And that was the sinking of the great passenger line of the Titanic. And uh, of the 2,227 passengers, 705 actually the, survived, and that means 1,322 people drowned that fateful night. And uh, it's interesting, but after the ship went down, some of the lifeboats went back to pick up those who were still in the water. And if you know the facts, and I'm sure some of you do, the water was freezing. It was below zero. It was just incredibly cold and no one really lasted who was in the water longer than an hour <coughs> but the lifeboats came back some of them came back and they started to and there was be a and what would happen is as the lifeboat kind of drifted through all the sea of bodies that were floating and bobbing around the water there'd be someone on the bow and they'd be calling out anybody alive anybody alive and they were looking for some sign of life now if you were in the water if you were in the water and you're still alive, man, you wouldn't, you know, in the pitch dark, cold, hardly can talk, hardly can move. The energy of your body is being sapped out of you because of the cold water. Uh, and you hear a voice of, the of, of a person on a lifeboat calling out, hello, are you alive? And with all the floating bodies around you and the lifelessness around you, what do you want the driver of that lifeboat or the person on that lifeboat to do? Be quiet? Do you want him to say nothing? No way. You want volume. You want him to keep on calling because it gives you what? Hope. And I want to say in biblical jargon, you want him to show his glory. You want him to, you need him to hear, uh, hear him say, I'm here. I'm here. I'm strong. I have room for you. People, we need to see the incredible glory of God. And we need to uh, and, you know, see him declare it and the high praises of God. Because as God, you know, it, I suppose literally God doesn't necessarily declare it himself. But we need to, in our hearts, see that glory or sense that presence or his touch upon our lives. Because I tell you, it gives us a hope. It gives us a, a truth. And when we thrash around in the sea of guilt or maybe thrash around in the sea of anger, or despair, or, or, or sinful habits, and we're trying to break them down. Um, I tell you what, we need to hear and know God's touch in our lives. We don't need God to be quiet. We need Him to come and show His glory in our life. Is that true? And you know, God says, my glory is not reflected out of my life for just for my sake. It's reflected for your sake. And uh, God is the pilot of the lifeboat. And there's only one message that matters, and that is we need to know His touch. We need to know His love in our lives. We need to know the Holy Spirit working, His glory reflected in us. 
We need that more than anything, folks. I don't know of anything that can, that can deal with our life like God can. And uh, sometimes we maybe, the truth is, I go back to the question I asked, uh, who have we got on the throne of our lives? Uh, maybe there's a lot of other stuff or maybe people or other things. And God says, I want to sit there on the throne of your life. I want to be reflected through your life. Uh, life goes so much better. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I am man, James. You're preaching well. <laughs> Amen. So why did the angel de declare glory to God in the highest and on earth, goodwill to all men? Because it's when we see his glory and <clears throat> bow our knee to him that we see the peace and sometimes the joy and all that goes along in the fruit of spirit that we so much long for. Amen. Not only does His glory help us to see my place and His glory show us His greatness for our sakes and not His, but His glory saves us from trying to do it all. And I find this totally refreshing. Do you know there's a, there's a verse in um, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, and, and I've just got it on the Message Bible, says this. I like the translation of this. It says, For a child has been born for us, <clears throat> the gift of a son for us, He'll take over the running of the world. His name will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. His ruling authority will grow and there will be no limits to the wholeness He brings. What a great way of presenting that verse. Uh, you'd probably know it in the other versions, but that's a great way. He'll take over the running of the world and there will be no limits to the wholeness that He can bring when we have the presence of God touching our lives. There's a wonderful story at the time that Martin Luther was having his Bible printed in Germany, translated into English and printed, uh, the printer uh, had a daughter who was working alongside of him. And this particular day, they were working in their printing press and they were printing off the Bible. And, she, and as, uh, she'd never really known about God. They were just doing a job and that was printing the Bible. And <clears throat> she just thought God was a God that she needed to fear, as in be afraid of, not reverence Him, but just be afraid and we see that we, uh, the reality of it is that she was concerned, fearful of God. And one day she picked up a piece of paper off the floor and it, and, and it had the words, For God so loved the world that He gave. And the rest of the verse had not yet been printed. And so she, she only saw part of what was, of course, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave. And when she saw that, it touched her heart. She thought that God, this is a God that would give. And if He's a God that would give... He was, she was moved by that and she thought, how can I, how, why should I fear a God that would be a giving God? Simple as that. And so it, trains, it changed her thoughts of God. It thus changed her, 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 uh, 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 her I suppose, her, her agenda in life and it changed the way she thought. And, and her mother noticed there was something different about her daughter and she said to her daughter, what is it that's different? And, and, and the daughter said, well, you know, I picked up this part of the Bible and it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. And God, if He's a giving God, surely we can't, don't need to fear Him. And uh, He gave us, and we don't need to be afraid. God, and you know the truth is, as I think of that simple truth, and, uh, and it, God could have given us some incredible political leader. And, uh, and that would, would have been amazing to lead the world, but He didn't. Jesus was a good leader. He, she could have given us some incredible doctor to, you know, produce all the medicine and heal everybody. And that would have been oneness. All the sickness in the world would flee. And, and in some ways, Jesus, of course, was exactly that. But you know what? <clears throat> he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. 
he sent his son Jesus. And, uh, you know, the truth is, Jesus Christ, when God gave Jesus Christ, he gave his very best. And when God gave Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the very glory of God. He was the very glory of God. He was the very, um, very substance of God. And in Jesus Christ, God was reflective and reflected in all that uh, God was. Jesus was a reflection of his Father. And you know, he gave, he gave, and he gave. And you know, God's whole purpose in life is that he would be continually give. One of the most incredible things he gives is his son, and he, and he shares. And even though we don't have the glory, we can have his touch on our lives. His touch, his hand of love, his encouragement on our lives. It's always about giving. It's always about him sharing with us. And you know, I've discovered that it saves us from trying to do it all. You know, I've just got to get closer to God. You know, you just need to draw near to him, but not allow it to become a frustration. You know, if only we just take the time sometimes just to take his word and read it. If only we take the time sometimes just to spend time in worship. You'll find that God is not far away from us. He's not some mystic out there. He's, not, he's right there. And that he wants us to realize that, uh, that if we would just trust him in life, and uh, not try and work out every problem and sort out everything. Because sometimes we're, instead of being human beings, we're human doings. And always have to, well, I better, do, I better make sure that, you know, I get all this right. I better help God along. Sometimes God doesn't need your help. He just needs your worship. He just needs your heart. And when we become aware of our weaknesses, the Bible says they can become strength as we come before our Heavenly Father. Um, God is well aware of our limitations. He knew, knew we needed a saviour. We couldn't save ourselves. You can't solve every person's problems in life. Have you worked that one out? You can't solve every person's problems. And God reckons that's okay because the world does not rely on you. It relies on Him. And uh, God loves you too much to say it's all about you. Uh, he keeps the world humming along quite well, apart from all the human uh, intervention and the human unfortunate sin that we're involved in we seem to make a habit of killing each other fairly well don't we but generally i know that we can trust our god amen you know the world may continue to destroy itself but i'm glad that our god still sits on the throne and uh that he oversees it and uh and there's another sermon in there that we're not going to try and answer that why there's all this terrible stuff like the last 48 hours happen in a world if there is a loving god but that's another message. Um, but the reality is, if we would just give him... It's, you know, the reality is, is that people don't give God an opportunity to reflect the glory through their lives. And if we had more of God in this world, and people allowed more of God, there wouldn't be half the problems we have. Would you agree? There wouldn't be half the issues that we struggle with. And of course, uh, Satan has got a lot of people tricked that they're representing God by chopping heads off and shooting people and blowing themselves and other people up. Well, we're just doing God's will. Oh, if only they knew how far from the truth that is. So here's a light. Luke said in, in chapter 2, verse 32, here's a light to reveal God to the nations. Can I have the musicians come, please, tonight? Here's a light to reveal God to the nations. Here's the glory of your people Israel. He is the glory. Um, I'm so aware that as we bring Him praise, uh, 
You know, the Bible says this. Oh, magnify the Lord with me in let us exalt His name forever. Is that right? That's what it says. I love the word magnify, and I've mentioned this before, but I love the word magnify because when I take a magnifying glass and look at stuff, it actually makes it bigger. Is that right? And so when we come to our Heavenly Father and we bring, an op- bring a, a, a voice of praise or, or just an opportunity to magnify Him, what we're doing is we're not literally making God bigger because God is incredibly big. He's, bigger, he's big enough that the earth is His footstool. But what we do is we make God bigger in our lives. When we acknowledge Him, when we give Him praise, when we, we magnify Him, we make Him bigger in our lives. And I want to tell you that the wonderful thing is, is when we magnify God and make Him bigger in our lives, and as we allow Him to become bigger in our lives, He becomes bigger than the problems that we have and the issues that we have. I tell you, He's able then to help us to deal with those things that we have and face and the frustrations and the issues and the despair. But all it takes is us sometimes just to lift our hearts and minds before Him and start to give Him glory and put Him in the rightful place in our lives. Put Him in the rightful place. Can we stand tonight? We're going to sing this beautiful song in a moment.